Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Steve, I'm the rector here, and I just want to give you a little bit of background to today. When George Floyd was murdered in May 2020, there was a massive outcry for racial justice. There had been similar outcries over the years in the United States and in the UK, but this one seemed different. It was touching a wide spectrum of society, both black and white. And as I listened to black and brown friends to whom I looked up, including senior church leaders, I was shocked. For the first time, they expressed pain that they had carried for years. And now at last, it seemed that their voices may be heard. And so they shared things that they had kept hidden behind their smiles for too long. All this, of course, took place during the pandemic, and it seemed to me and to many others that this was more than a human outcry. There was a sense of the Spirit of God at work, and we had to get involved. And I remember nervously donning my mask and traveling on public transport for the first time in the pandemic to the forest recreation ground for a rally. I felt awkward and out of place, and I felt awkward partly because this whole process was holding up a mirror to me, to my white privilege that I, as a, a white British, dare I say it, male, should naturally be at the head of the queue. And I began to realize that although I had always tried to champion the outsider, those who were on the margins of church life, I'd very often done that in a way that focused on how different they were rather than how, what we had in common. It became clear that we needed to take some action as a church and that this would disturb us. So I invited uh, people of different ethnic backgrounds, including black British, to come together to share stories. And again, I was impacted by their pain pain experienced both in wider society and inside the church, inside our church. We know that from our experience with Nottingham citizens that the fight for justice requires organizing. So we set up We Are One, the group that you'll be hearing from today. It was clear to everyone that there was one person in the group, who stood as a leader, head and shoulders above others, that's Marsha, and the group asked her to lead them. But they also wanted to include white people too. So they invited some others whom they recognized as key influences in the life of the church. So I'm really grateful for the We Are One team. My role has simply been to try and guide Marsha through the complexities of the Church of England and um, to support from behind. And they've, they've done all the work. And now the diocese and other churches in the city are asking them to share their wisdom and to enable others to have the difficult conversations about race. The PCC, Church Council, has been fully supportive of the work of We Are One. 
and the discussions around Ben Lindsay's book, We Need to Talk About Race. And they've supported them as they've taken these discussions to our St. Louis communities and asked them to work with the PCC on a racial justice policy. So today, we bring those behind the scenes conversations to the fore in public discussion. Finally, I just need to emphasize that this is not about following some liberal woke agenda. This is about fulfilling our biblical obligation to be in fact and in lived reality the body of Christ that we already are. And this is the message of the reading that Lois is now going to bring us from the New Testament. Thanks, Lois. The reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in the fact God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while the presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lois. So we come to the panel discussion part of our time together this morning. And a reminder, you can ask a question by going to the website Slido and you'll need a number to get into this discussion. So once again, just to remind you, and if you're at home, you can take part really easily. We've designed it so that it's an interactive event. 797-611, that's the number. 797-611. And I'm hoping that that will come up on the screen as well as we go along, just to remind you this morning. So, so here we are. This is an amazing opportunity we have to ask questions to our panel. And just firstly, uh, 
just huge thanks to you guys because this, this, this is costly. You know, the, these um, brothers and sisters are putting themselves out there for you to share some of the pain, to share their experiences, and to share hope as well. So, um, you know, this is an atmosphere of love and, and an intention to really move forward together as family. So that's how this is framed. Uh, and so I thank God for you. We're going to divide it into three sections. We're going to talk about welcoming belonging. We're going to talk about unconscious bias. And then we're going to touch on that spicy meatball, white privilege. And we're going to save that one to the end and, and get your thoughts on that. So, um, so Franklin, we're going to start by talking about welcoming belonging. And as we begin each section, just a chance to hear a few words from, from someone experiencing firsthand what it is like to be church, to be black, to be in St. Nick's, which is majority white. What's on your heart to share about welcoming belonging? How welcome did you feel, for instance, when you joined? Uh, hello. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, I suppose for me, uh, I felt re very welcome. I think the welcome was the whole reason that I came to this church and that I got involved in this church. Um, you know, I've always felt, um, you know, loved and that I could, you know, chat to people. I think more for me, as I've kind of been here over the years, it's kind of been the belonging part that I've kind of had to sit down and think about what that means and mm. the thought process behind that. And I haven't always been able to kind of articulate and understand what's going on. Uh, but, you know, an experience or an example that comes to mind is just uh, kind of through worship. So, you know, for those that don't know me, I do, you know, lead worship at this church. I'm really grateful again to have the opportunity and people here have invested in me so much. And I'm grateful for that. This is just a, a shared experience that I'm just going to bring to you all. Mm. Um, and so an experience I have is just... Uh, um, there have been times where, say, if we are in a service or if I'm practicing or anything like that and I feel like the spirit is kind of there, you know, I've always felt actually, you know, I, I can't really just, you know, sing out and just go off on an own little tangent, you know, I can't just go out and just worship however, you know, I feel that, you know, maybe best I can't continue this time of spirit kind of um, worship because I feel like we have a service to keep to, maybe that's not what I should do. But then also, you know, I also being the only uh, kind of uh, black leader in this church in terms of worship, I don't want people to look at me and, you know, look at the worship and already think, oh, here we go, it's going to be different today. You know, we know what we're going to get from him. So I kind of, you know, try and do the best I can to curb uh, that um, part or side of me when it comes to worship. So that's kind of my uh, main experience, really. That's really interesting that, that you feel like there's something that is innate in you as a black man that can't be expressed. Where does that feeling come from? Uh, in terms of the expression itself, you know, it's just, it's from my home church, really. You know, I, I think it's also, it will happen when, you know, I've been brought up a certain way and, you know, we do things a certain way in my home church and how I worship. And I always feel like I don't want to, you know, just bring that here because I have to. But then I also still want to feel comfortable to do that when the time is right. So this isn't an every mm. Sunday thing. I don't want people to go away and think yeah. every Sunday I'm just trying to deny God or the Spirit or whatever. No, 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 of course not. It's just, mm. you know, certain deliberate times where I felt, you know, we could really just tap into this a little bit more. And I've just felt, but actually, you know, maybe I can't really, you know, express that. So, um, yeah. Mm. Yes, I mean, I, I, having led some worship myself, I know personally also that feeling of really wanting to go for it, but I guess what you're thinking is there, are, there might be some cultural things that are perceived barriers um, because we're all different personality types, aren't we? But what you're mindful of perhaps then is the fact that there are these stereotypes and that is a barrier to you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. What, would you, all the other panelists, like to pick up your um, your microphones and uh, and just chip in on that? Um, is anything that that Franklin's saying resonating with you, Marshall? How how do you see that? Um, I think. That's why it's good that we're having this conversation, because I think that there is uh, room to bring in uh, some diversity. Uh, Franklin's background, well, I, I speak about mine. I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and they are, you know, more kind of free yeah. uh, and, and loud. Um, so I think coming into a church that is predominantly white, you sort of say, well, how how do I be me, authentically me? I mean, you guys may see me lifting my hands up and dancing around because that's how I worship God. But you do have that challenge of what's going to be said. <laughs> um, so that's why it's good that we're talking because I think that when we have these conversations, it's like, you know, I mean, I've sat with Steve and Steve's like, have a chat with Ben. And Ben's like, yeah, let's bring in, uh, let's have a conversation as to how we can bring in diversity in the mm. worship through you know what franklin does so yeah it's good that we talk about it so that we can begin to explore mm. Mm. janet anything you'd like to add on welcome and belonging let's maybe widen it out a little bit about it's so interesting that welcome is one thing a cheery hello at the door but then belonging is a long-term sustained thing isn't it what about belonging what What's your experience of feeling that you belong here? Um, I suppose for me, um, belonging, I, I feel as though I belong to this church. And I think one of the Zoom um, that I did, somebody questioned, because I do go to another church as well, um, which meets on a Saturday. And the, one of the questions was, well, do you feel as though you belong at that church? And my answer was, I felt more at home here because this is my church. I sort of register this as my church. So yeah, um, I, I feel as though mm -hmm. I belong here, but mm -hmm. obviously there are issues that as a black person, you kind of face not just, well, on a daily basis. So when you come to church and sometimes you, you have that happen, you feel very disappointed because this is um, church of God and the body of God and it's not, in my way of thinking, how we are to be with one another, as the, the, the mm. passage we've just read. Mm. Um, so that feels a little bit disappointing. But um, yeah. no, I'm encouraged by some of the people that I've got to know at St. Nick's who have been really lovely and helpful and welcoming. And so the thing is to work on that rather than walk away. Because I know mm. lots of black people may have come here, but gone and left because they've not felt that belonging mm. um but yeah and is that because i mean i'm getting right to it now is that because you are in a minority and therefore feel like uh you know the, the majority is less comfortable for you or is it because there are things that happen things that are said experiences that you have that make you feel like you can never belong i think it's both yeah, I think, it's, I think both. it's both. So I, I'm fairly new to St. Nick's and my welcome, which has been good, but I have, I had a couple of people ask me in sort of coming and saying, oh, hey, you're new, mm. where are you from? And I'm like, oh, St. Anne's. <laughs> and then yeah. I was asked, 
okay, but where were you born? I'm like, I was born here. Mm. And then it was, oh, well, where are your parents from? And then you suddenly think, why am I having this conversation mm. on a Sunday morning in church? And that happened to me twice. And I didn't know where to place it until all of the conversations started to be had around unconscious bias and racism mm -hmm. on the back of the murder of George Floyd and hearing Ben uh, kind of put words to that experience and going, ah, that's what that was about. Uh, so, you know, the person or the people that asked me that are not racist, so don't hear, you know, because I know people think, whoa, if I did that, I'm a terrible person. That's not what we're saying. But again, that's why it's good that we have these conversations because whilst that may be something that is thought to be, this is a nice way to welcome this person. I'm black British. My parents are from Jamaica, but I'm British. Mm. Hello. Uh, so for me, it's kind of like this questioning, mm. what is this? Mm. Uh, and that will make you feel uncomfortable. And for some people, they'll think, I don't know if I should go back yeah. or I yeah. don't know, I don't feel comfortable now. One thing I haven't done, thank you for that, Marsha, is, is introduce our panel, can you? Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm new to this. <laughs> so, Janet. <laughs> Janet, thank you so much. Franklin, Marsha, and Pete. Pete's on the panel because your work with citizens, you know, you're all over this business of uh, having a united city, never mind a united church. Um, just, can you put into your in, words for us, as white people in this church, what some of the the pitfalls might be like you know in a way there are a few eggshells that we're now super aware of it and we but we now don't want to over go over the top with welcome when we see a black person so you know what what are you seeing what are you sensing in what needs to happen sure I, i'm certainly no um expert on this stuff um, and certainly through our work with citizens i've i've been organizing three kind of anti-racist campaigns around the city as like a white privileged man which has been a deeply uh, challenging uh, process and I'm learning so much um, but I, I guess just listening to you know our, our black brothers and sisters here it just and around this theme of welcoming and belonging it just strikes me there's something about the ease by which uh, we can or or cannot integrate and of course there's three examples here of people who have felt welcomed enough to stay but it makes me reflect on who are the other people who haven't felt welcomed enough and haven't felt like they belonged enough in order to to stick with us mm. and and even just listen to you speak again there franklin i you know i'd heard i've heard you speak about that a few times before but it reminded me again of you know when you first arrived and i got to know you and i was leading worship at the time in the church and kind of took you under my wing like not once did it occur to me to say to you oh, tell me a bit about your experience of of worshiping and leading worship in your own church context why why didn't you bring some of that here i just kind of assumed that you would fit the mold of our kind of you know mm. white four chord strum along that we do here um <laughs> is, is that a bit partially um so but there is something you know there's something about about the ease by which and you know for me, me as this white privileged guy you know the biggest barrier i had to come over was like I grew up in a Baptist church and then I had to kind of get my head around the Church of England, which is pretty weird. And, I, you know, 16 years on, I'm kind of there. Um, mm. But that's nothing, yeah, compared to those barriers, really. And I think, I, I guess I'm just encouraged that, you know, a year on from Floyd, we, we continue to listen. And I hope that, you know, another year and another year, we can keep listening and keep learning. Mm. Um, mm. Because, gonna, yeah, it just feels like a journey, doesn't mm. it? Mm. Yes. 
There's a question that's come through uh, anonymously. That's the beauty of Slido. You don't have to put your name on it. So if you still haven't submitted a question and you want to, do that and you can do it anonymously. But it's sort of around, around the theme of belonging and welcome. If the church is to be truly multicultural, what is the place of black majority churches? So we're, we would love there to be a mixture of everything. But obviously, in Nottingham, you could, if you want, go to somewhere where you are the majority. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, but frankly, why, you know, what, what is the place for black majority churches? Oh, uh, well, great question. <laughs> it's a big one, um, yeah, and we've only got about two minutes. Yeah. But, that's yeah. okay, that's okay. I'll do my best to have Sorry. a crack at it. No, it's fine. Um, I would say it's the same uh, place as every kind of majority church to ensure that with your area, your locality, um, asking yourself, you know, the key questions. Am I doing as a church, are we doing everything we can to interact and reach out to other people um, and other people of culture to ensure that they are welcome or ensure that they, when they pass our church, they can look in and think, yeah, I, I can go there and feel comfortable. Uh, so that's what I think are the places for like majority churches and also many majority churches. Mm, mm. And, and also, every black person doesn't want to go to a black majority church. Mm. Uh, the, most of the black majority churches were started by the Windrush generation and started because they were accepted then yeah. into, you know, my granddad's from Jamaica, but my, my granddad's an Anglican, he was in Jamaica. So when he came here, it was naturally go to St. Andrews, but some places were not that welcoming. And so I think that's being polite. <laughs> yeah, well, Not that welcoming. I mean, there was yeah. quite horrific racism. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they had to set up, you know, their own churches. Uh, but for someone, again, like me, I'm black British, I don't necessarily want to go to a black yeah. church. I just want to go wherever God sends me, and he sent mm. me here. <laughs> so there is a place for it, but uh, there's mm. also, again, room yeah. for, you know... I think, I mean, just to sort of... No, go on, Janet, you were about to say something. Well, no, I was just... Uh, in terms of black churches, I think, um, like all of us, we, we should practice welcoming people, and colour should not matter, or culture or whatever, in terms of where we come from. And it's really quite simple. And I think that often we make things so complicated. I mean, I'm here because I'm married to somebody white, and... And I thought, well, some of the black churches would blow him away and put him off. And so we kind of settled here. And, but uh, like um, Marsha is saying, I grew up in Jamaica and my grandmother took me to an Anglican church every Sunday, all dressed up. I mean, I hesitated this morning in terms of what to wear because that's, that's um, the culture is that we really go to town, yeah. you know, Sunday best. And so, yeah, um, yeah so when I came to... to join my parents in Derby and I was in the family I was the only one really going to the local church which yeah. was an Anglican church so it's kind of been in my bloodstream so it was easier for me in terms of coming mm. here mm. I mean yes I like to go to a black church as well but um, I think that all churches whatever the background should welcome everybody mm. as we all should you yeah. know yeah yeah full stop Yes, it's, it's a quite a complex picture, isn't it, as to there will be in every church a prevailing culture, won't there? So if you were to describe St. Nick's to your friends, you would describe it in a certain way, 
And that is on a smorgasbord of church that you can pick and choose as your thing on a Sunday. Um, but the, the challenge we have is finding room for different cultural expressions that's, that, that are valid and still sort of go in that flow and aren't, aren't stopped and blocked off by unconscious biases and, and perceived barriers, isn't it? So it's, it, it's a complicated one and, you know, hopefully we'll get there. We'll get there through mornings like this. We're going to move on and talk about unconscious bias now, something that we've referred to in our services um, occasionally, something that you may have done a training module at work. I know that we have at the BBC, and um, you know, I, I did the voiceover for one at Nottingham Trent University. Uh, it's very much a hot topic, something that we need to be aware of. And Janet, as far as being a black person is concerned, um, you know, you've been reflecting on, on, on our unconscious biases. What would you like to share? Yes, um, I mean, obviously, unconscious bias. I think one of the, the, the things I see with Instant Nix is that we are people, and, and black people are like it too, in terms of we gravitate to what's familiar to us. And so often that can sort of shut out what's not the norm for you, as it were. Um, so for me, I think... Um, my experience is that um, that we need to try and look beyond that, I guess, um, in terms of what we see as the, the norm and, and um, actually to get to know people from other culture, we have to actually step out of that comfort zone, as it were, and um, just be talking to people of colour and people from different cultures, mm. really, because unless we do, we, do, we, do, we do that, we're not going to break down those barriers. And within St Nick's, people can feel a little bit on the fringe, and you guys probably don't even notice that. And mm. we kind of go home and think, well, that was a sermon talking about this, but in practice, it's not happening for them within church. And we see so much of that outside of church that when we come here, we want mm. to be shown that love of God. Mm. And, um, mm. and so sometimes it feels a little bit disappointing, I guess. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Yes, yes. But I think that one of the things is um, in terms of people in powerful positions that we have to somehow, you guys need to do the work in terms of breaking that down because... For, for hundreds of years, black, black people have been kind of ranting on about race and unfairness. But we can't get there unless we have your help. And, um, and you recognize that what's happening, and there's loads of stuff on social media, if you, you know, if you don't have the chance to actually talk to a black person or invite a black person to your home or whatever, there's loads of stuff out there that can, the message is so powerful in terms of the pain and the hurt that people can feel from something being said to them, which you kind of probably don't even recognise. Mm -mm. It's hurting. Yeah, yes, indeed. Tammy, you feel passionate about this, don't you? You've been yeah. looking into it. Yes. And um, <laughs> what, what bothers you about our hidden prejudices? Um, well, I think... It's, it's hard to know what your unconscious bias is, if it's unconscious. Yeah. Um, but I think I've been on a journey since um, what happened with George Floyd, um, because a lot of people of color opened up about their experiences. So I think um, one of the first things 
I did that was helpful for me to understand was just to listen to their stories um, about how they experience it. And, um, you know, I followed accounts on social media, which was helpful as well, and read a few books. Um, and for me, I think um, having thought about that, it made me kind of think about my own experiences of unconscious bias, mm -hmm. where I've, um, yeah, I've been biased unconsciously, and it kind of um, brought up memories. Like, for example, I had um, dinner with a couple of friends who were black from my school, um, like 10 years ago or so. Um, and we were just chatting about something, and one thing that my friend said, I made a comment which assumed she was white for some reason, and she was like, oh, Tam, you know I'm, I'm black. And I was like, oh yeah, I do forget that sometimes. And she was like, oh, like a lot of my, quite a few of my white friends have said that before. And she was like, oh, do you think this person's, do you ever forget this person's black? And I was like, no. And then my other friend, who is normally quite like opinionated and loud, was very quiet at this point. So I knew that something wasn't quite right, but we moved on anyway. Um, but that made me, ref like, when I learned about other experiences of black people, it made me kind of reflect on that. And I think um, a lot of things that we're fed through the media gives us an impression of black people, like, not that she was violent, but like violent, for example, or loud. Um, and one friend was very kind of quiet, well-spoken, um, didn't like was really good at school and that's a friend I kind of in my head assumed was white and the other friend was kind of the opposite um, yeah so I forgot where I was going with that but um, yeah I just think the way that it um, impacts us is kind of like also the fact that I even thought that about black people mm. when um, I grew up in a multicultural town had lots of friends of different colours and yeah. family doesn't protect you from it. Um, so yeah, I just think reflection and learning and listening is really important. That's, that's really good. Thank you, Tammy. And Tammy's been part of the We Are One group, so we're doing a bit of a tag team on, the, on this chair this morning. Um, interesting you say about you don't think of someone as being black, and we, I think a lot of white people have been challenged in the last year or so. Um, about thinking it's to our credit to say, oh, I don't think of you as black. Like, expl Franklin, explain why that's not a great thing. Well, <laughs> as if you I, need to, but I, yeah. I think we could do with hearing it again. Yeah, no, I hope you do. I like being black, so yeah. please recognise me as black. Yeah. That's fine. I don't okay. see your yeah. colour. Yeah, no, yeah. no. And I, I understand it again. You know, this isn't a, you know, an, an attack, you know, but part of my identity is, like I've said, you know, I'm proud to be black, so recognise I'm black. That's fine. You know, there's, there's no issues there. I think... It's just, uh, it, it's when, um, you know, like I've said, I've had, you know, just instances where that is the only thing and that's seen as a bad thing or you say that in a way that you wouldn't say that to anybody else. So, you know, for instance, you know, I've had comments where, you know, people have just said, oh, you're just here for diversity and things like that. You know, that's when it's just gone a bit too far. But recognize us as black, you know, that's great. There are differences between us and that's okay as well. Um, so do not feel that, you know, that, that has to become a sticking point. You know, it's good, again, variety is good, again, for unity. Um, so uh, when you, because when you don't recognize us as black and kind of tread around eggshells, you know, mm. I feel that. We all feel that. You know, I can sense yeah. when I've had a conversation when, you know, you can just say whatever it is that you're thinking, you know, that's fine. It's okay. I'm not going to be annoyed. I'm not going to be angry. So. Yeah. 
Anything to add there, Janet? Um, I don't... Um, I think that being black, I mean, you just get on with life, actually. <laughs> and so I don't see myself as kind of standing out all the time. Mm. And I've got some lovely, lovely white friends. Um, and so it's not an issue because I think that people recognize who I am and it's treating me as who I am rather than seeing a color mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I know that for other black people, one of the things is that we don't all think the same <laughs> and we have to remember that. So, um, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, my response might be different to somebody else. Yes. Yes. And I think that's really important to, to recognize, yeah. but it's about, it's about getting to know that person and respecting wherever they okay. are. Yeah. Um, just a reminder of the number, if you are now trying to fiddle around on Slido and want to get into the discussion and ask your questions, the number is 797-611, 797-611. Got some good questions, actually, and some specific things. I think sometimes it's good to pin things down into some detail. Uh, one question here. We make efforts in song and prayer when we know some friends from minority backgrounds join us. So say we know we've got a group of refugees from a particular country, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to accommodate them. But what would the panel members like to see that is relevant to you, I think, week in, week out? So what are you after? Difficult one. Sorry to put you on the spot. I think... Um... Uh, and the danger, sorry, just the, <laughs> the danger in that question is, is that me othering, is that us othering you? Because can you see it's a difficult tension sometimes? It is, and I don't, I, I don't have the answer to difficult tensions, um, how we deal with that. But I think what's good and what I've found to be good from, you know, starting the journey with We Are One is just having folk hear our story, mm. our stories hear our experiences, uh, perhaps try to understand uh, the pain and the trauma that comes from our experiences of racism. So, for example, seeing George Floyd get murdered by a police officer on social media, I would think every black person felt like you just want to fall on the floor and you can't move anymore mm. because of the continuation of yeah. the brutality of racism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think being a part of this church, having, it's been great, the, the work that the communities have done, reading Ben Lindsay's book, and just having really good conversations. That's been so, so helpful. Uh, so in terms of what do we want, I think we're doing good. And I think what St. Nick's are doing is good by saying, mm -hmm. okay, let's, Let's take a look at this. Let's mm. listen. Let's mm. get on a journey uh, and, and, and bring about an awareness that changes people's hearts that then yeah. will change people's actions. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping people sharing what I shared about my welcome, people may think, actually, okay, I'm not going to ask that question yeah. again. Yes, that's and that's great. a good thing. Yeah, thanks, Marsha. Yeah, really helpful. I mean, Franklin, what are your thoughts on... What, what you would love to see, if, if we are, if, how, what does it look like for St. Nick's to do this well? I think one thing that came to mind is, because I think Pete shared about, you know, the kind of um, racial things he's been getting involved with Nottingham citizens is, I don't know if it was just me, if I'm not paying attention to notices or news, but, you know, when that's happened, I haven't 
you know, knowing that to be, you know, publicized heavily within the church and being, you know, prayed for this event is coming up right. and, you know, so, you know, things like that, you know, so yeah. it could be something like, it doesn't have to be week in, week out, you know, here's the box and, you know, we want to make sure we cover this area. No, it's about also what's happening, what's coming up, what are the churches doing, what are mm. organizations that we're affiliated doing and, you know, putting that into mm. circulation and praying for those events, you know, like yeah. we would for, you know, other kind of citizens' assemblies and other things that are happening. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that St. Nick's does very well, and that's one of the reasons I come to this church. Um, but I think that in terms of what we could do, it, I think if things are happening that are topical and around, say, um, race or whatever, again, praying for it or just mentioning it so that we have that vision that you are taking on what those struggles are, you know, whether it's in the news or, or what, but it's just kind of a mention, which I think you do to a degree anyway, mm -hmm. but I think it's just emphasizing yeah. that more, yeah. I think would be good. Yes, yes. Uh, just finally then, uh, a couple more questions that have come through on, on this term, unconscious bias. Um, is that term acceptable? Um, because it takes away responsibility that person's actions so you know oh it's unconscious I can't help it Tammy perhaps you could chip in would implicit bias be more appropriate this person says to provide that person the opportunity to take responsibility for themselves what do we need to do then to own this unconscious bias um, I don't I don't know about changing the terms but I definitely think um, there is like it might give the impression that there's nothing you can do about it but like we've talked about there is um, you can make it conscious and explore it, reflect and listen to people and do something about it. Yeah, maybe implicit bias, we can use that term if people mm. want. <laughs> yeah. Certainly, you know, in the training modules, uh, the unconscious biases, they're the things that there are sort of, sometimes there are default settings which, yeah, they're kind of wired in, but to overcome them, you, you just need to, to take a breath and just think, give yourself more time and just to think for a moment. So the, the biases creep in when we're hurrying or reacting in instinctively. So I think, you know, as, as Christ's body, we have that responsibility just to take a moment and, and think this is important, don't we? Yeah. And just to add, like, things like this, this panel and this discussion yeah. will help towards that as well. Um, so we are already doing something about it. Okay. Tammy, thank you so much. You're going to swap seats with Mike because we're going to do our final section on white privilege. And there is a video that we have ready to play you, I hope, on this that will get our conversation moving along. We've been engaged in a global conversation about race and racism. You've probably had discussions at home, at school or at work, and in those conversations, you've probably heard the term white privilege. You may have even had this term used in a way that felt like an insult or an accusation. Others will have told you that it's all just made up to make white people feel bad and none of this is right. Privilege is a hard concept for people to understand because normally when we talk of privilege we imagine immediate unearned riches and tangible benefits for anyone who has it. But white privilege, and indeed all privilege, is actually more about the absence of inconvenience, the absence of an impediment or challenge, and as such when you have it, you really don't notice it. But when it's absent, it affects everything you do. There are lots of types of privilege out there. The privilege of being born into a wealthy family versus a poor family is kind of obvious. But then there's the privilege of being able-bodied versus having or acquiring a disability. 
that most of us take for granted. I have two very close friends who are wheelchair users, and I'll be honest, when I first met them, I was completely ignorant about the everyday ways their lives are made harder through no fault of their own. Some of these ways are simply thoughtless, but some of them are just the way we live, just the way we build infrastructure, just the way everything works that just makes their life harder than mine. That's just one of the ways that I'm privileged. And understanding that, embracing that, doesn't make me a bad person. But ignoring it raises the chance that my friends will be excluded in ways that are not obvious to me. And as their friend, I can't allow that. There's a good chance, as a white person watching this, your life is already hard. Every day you have to overcome some difficulty or challenge just to get by, but you can still have white privilege. White privilege doesn't mean you haven't worked hard or you don't deserve the success you've had. It doesn't mean that your life isn't hard or that you've never suffered. It simply means that your skin color has not been the cause of your hardship or suffering. There is nothing but a benefit to understanding our own privileges, white and otherwise. It brings us closer to those who are different. It helps us be vigilant about the ways we treat others different than us. It helps us make a society that is fairer and more equal. Having white privilege doesn't make your life easy, but understanding it can help you realize why some people's lives are harder than they should be. Mm. Yeah, that's a really helpful video. Um, and I liked what he said there about, it's when your skin color is not the source of your hardship or suffering. And there has been a lot said recently about um, young, white, poor lads and their chances in life, you know, when you compare them and does this mean that we shouldn't talk about white privilege anymore? To find like that chap just did, which is, it's when your skin color does not cause your hardship or suffering. I think that, that's good clarification. And Mike's on the panel now because you've just been reflecting over these last few months and part of the We Are One group about this. What, what journey have you been on with this? So just a potted version of the last year for me, I think. So when George Floyd was murdered uh, just over a year ago now, I, like probably most of us, was absolutely horrified. Mm. And it was a horrific video to watch, wasn't it? I don't think I've ever watched the whole thing all the way through, to be honest. Just couldn't bear it. And there was something inside of me that said, something has to be done. Surely we can't be a kind of society where it's okay for one human being to treat another human being with such an incredible sense of disdain. So there was something going on in me that was, I was deeply moved, as, as many people would, I guess. And I was thinking that the cop seemed to be thinking that his behavior was fine, absolutely fine. And he, that, you know, there would be no... Um, he wouldn't be held to account for that. And I was thinking, this is not a fine at all. This is incredible, and it's something that has to be done. But then I noticed in myself me flipping into probably an old pattern of thinking where I was right, I was fine up to that point, something had to be done. But then I kind of felt like they have to do something about it. And it wasn't, it wasn't that clear for me. This has become clear over time that, I've, that I did end up thinking like that but I felt they have to do something. And at first it was, well, that's an American problem. We don't have that kind of problem in Britain. So they have to deal with it. The Americans have to deal with it. And then the more it was bubbling away and rippling across the whole globe, of course, that everybody was, was caught up with the incredible injustice, then suddenly it, it came home. It's like, actually, it's not just them. 
over there, the other side of the pond. It's happening right around us all the time. So I, I, I read a bit, a bit of Rennie Edel Lodge's book. She talked about Stephen Lawrence, and I think for me that was the real turning point for me, because Stephen Lawrence was murdered in 1993. I'd have been 28 at the time. Another horrendous, this, that's probably our equivalent story in the UK. And the, inc the incredible injustice it took, I can't remember how long, years, 19 years, for the murderers to be brought to justice. And if you're old enough, as I am, to have lived through the, the period from 1993 till 2012, then you'd have heard on the news again and again and again and again the parents and the, act, the, uh, the action groups trying to bring justice into it to, to happen for, for Stephen Lawrence. And all the time, as I was growing up through my 30s and my 40s, this was on the news again and again, and all the time I was thinking, what a terrible thing to have happened. I hope somebody does something. And they have to do something. And I realized last year, it's like, it's time that I, with my white privilege, and it's not an insult, it's not an accusation, it's just recognizing that we have a sense of privilege just because of our skin color that allows us some scope to do something on behalf of others who don't have that privilege. So for me, it was a, it was a massive turning point and decided, which is I guess why I'm here today, decided that I must speak up, I must do something, and I must use, if I do have any privilege at all, out of, because of education, because of my upbringing, because of favor from work, because of anything at all, I must surely be using it on behalf of my black brothers and sisters. Thank you, Mike. Yes, I mean, certainly so many identify with that shock, that very visual revealing of, of the pain that was there. So here we are, you know, we're chatting about what it means. With white privilege, I know this is, I mean, this is a controversial topic in a sense, because, you know, just looking at some of the questions coming in on Slido now, um, why is white privilege different from height privilege, class privilege, financial privilege, culture privilege? Um, is it different? Does it matter that there is a difference? How are you seeing this as a subject that needs to be tackled as a difference to, say, um, class privilege, the kind of family you're born into? Um, do I see it differently um, to all those others? I don't. I think privilege is privilege, and I mm. think we're talking specifically here about race, so let's keep it there. Yeah. Um, and I mean, one of the things that I shared in one of the communities was asking the question, did that happen because I was black? Which I think probably every person of color would have asked that question and will ask that question uh, until Jesus returns. Um, mm. And the response was, I think, it, I can't remember who it was from, and he said, God, I've never had to think like that. I've never had to think, uh, did that happen because I was white? And that's an example of white privilege. Um, mm. The fact that you perhaps won't go through your life experiencing things and questioning, did that happen because I was white? Mm, mm. Whereas for a black person, that's yes. a regular thing. I think, without going too deeply uh, into this, um, Academically, you could argue that there are socioeconomic factors that might hold someone back from a, a you know, a working class 
family in a poor part of Nottingham, whereas the white privilege can only exist on the basis of other people's prejudices or unconscious biases. Of course, then you can put into the mix the fact that they might be from a poorer family as well, and on that goes, but um, uh, what's your experience of how live an issue white privilege is, frankly? And I mean, it, do we need to be tackling this? Do we need to be talking about it more? No, absolutely. And just to you know, re-emphasize what Marsha said, you know, all privileges you know, are wrong. But you know, today, as we are talking about race, this is why we're specifically looking at white privilege. Um, mm. But it is definitely something that has to be tackled, for sure, because you know, like was mentioned in the video and others have mentioned, it's an everyday issue you know, where you know, I've asked myself that question, did this thing occur when I was black? You know, I get to a bus stop and someone's clutching their bag a bit more tighter. You know, why is that happening? You know, I'm walking past um, cars in a car park on my way to shopping, and all of a sudden I hear a few doors lock. Why is that happening? Is that happening because I'm black? So, you know, is that um, genuinely? No, you genuinely know, no, I'm not even joking. I'm, I, I, I wish I was making it up. I, re I really do. I really do. No, wow. seriously, I really wish. But it, it's, yeah. it's something. It's something that's happened. You know, and it could be anything. It could be socially. It could be I'm going out with my friends, and you know, uh, they're they're allowed entry easily, and then they say, all right, come over here. What's in your pockets? You know, let me check your coats. And again, you get in and you ask, why did that happen to me and not to my friends, mm -hmm. um, who, who I'm with as well at the time? So it's definitely something that has to be challenged um, because other people, like I've said, will have different examples and different experiences. Um, but it's something that's wrong that needs to end, whether it's socially, whether it's in church, whether it's professionally in work. So it's definitely something that we need to talk about. Yeah. Anything um, to add? Yes, definitely. I mean, finally. we've come together because of George Floyd, but. The, the actual issue is that this is happening all the time. And it was just fortunate, unfortunate, that that was caught on a video. But certainly in America and in this country, that is happening to black people every single day. And that's what we need to stress. And so in terms of privilege, I think, um, yes, um, it is there. But what I hope and pray for is that people with those privilege would actually use it in a very positive way in terms of helping, as we should help each other. I mean, if you have a position that you can actually influence change, that's what we ought to be doing. If you see something wrong, that's what you should be speaking up and saying this is wrong or challenging it. And it's when you have that privileged position, you have that opportunity and we just pray for the courage that you can actually address it on, and challenge it. Because if more people from privileged background did that, we would not be in the situation, or it wouldn't be as worse, I believe, as it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, it's quite simple, mm -hmm. I keep saying, but I don't understand why we, we spend our life making things so complex. <laughs> And it's exhausting, and it's exhausting, particularly yeah. for black people who are facing this mm. every single day. Mm. And yes, they're going to get angry, and then, of course, you'll see an angry black person, and it's being, they're being aggressive. But you don't understand where that aggression, a lot of the times, is coming from. And particularly with young people and schools, that's my really, having fostered uh, for a mm. number of years, and I've seen a lot of children that have been so damaged and so angry, and then they take into the schools and it erupts into something else. And people are not registering or dealing with that, and mm -hmm. it goes out into society, and it's massive. Mm -hmm. 
Really well articulated. Thank you, Janet. Well, we've come to the end pretty much of the panel discussion. Um, Marsha, thank you so, so much for organizing this, um, rallying, and, uh, and being vulnerable with us this morning, and being honest. Anything in closing that is on your heart? You don't have to say anything to close. Steve's going to draw this together as well with a response in a few minutes, but um, anything to, to share with us? Um, yeah, just, I mean, it's great working with the team. We all, you know, this is a team effort, and the work that we're doing with We Are One, and just we're on a journey and it's been great to just begin that journey with the church and to continue it that's yeah. it really bless you thank you so much can we give the panel a round of applause thank you Amazing. well done i'm feeling hope today are you there are times when I feel really proud of this church, and I, I feel that today. I feel, and I just want to say a huge thank you to um, the We Are One team and everyone who's shared on uh, this morning. Uh, thank you for your honesty and vulnerability, uh, and thank you for helping us on this journey. Just a few things as we, as we close. Um, so just a few responses. You may be thinking, my privilege, okay, I... I get that. What do I do with my white privilege? Um, I'm sure you recognize that you know, people in government are people who have privilege, but when we see them using that privilege to benefit themselves and benefit their own family or friends, we call that corruption, don't we? So if we have a privilege, we must be using it for the benefit of others and asking how we can do that. Uh, maybe you have an area of influence uh, where you can maybe speak out a bit more strongly, uh, maybe at work or elsewhere. Secondly, um, you may be asking, how do I become more uh, conscious of these matters? You know, what, what should I do to become more informed? Well, it's been said again and again on the panel today, listen to the stories. Listen to the stories. That's the, the most important thing. But there are also good books and videos, and I'm sure people who you've listened to today will be able to recommend things if you'd like to, and we can post them on the internet as well. How can I help people of color to feel that they belong? Well, uh, why not invite someone to your house? Uh, I was talking to uh, a couple who have been helping us with our ministry to Spanish speakers, and they, they don't come to this church, but they said, you know, St. Nick's needs to get beyond. Ah, aren't they great? God bless them. You know, they, they, these people are looking for genuine friendship and being part of your life. Um, we've been thinking about diversity in worship, and I'm glad the conversation's starting to open up there because I think we can be really, really enriched. Really enriched. And I would say to Franklin, when the spirit moves, Franklin, go for it, please. <laughs> and finally, I just want to say, uh, we are not going to get to our goal through you know, gestures and tokenism. That's not going to get us anywhere. 
This is a journey, and it's worked out in real relationship. I'm conscious September the 12th is Racial Justice Sunday, but we're not going to make it just about racial justice that day. We're not going to keep banging the drum and saying, therefore, we're doing it. It has to be worked out in personal relationship. It, that will be very much a feature of that day. Uh, but we're in a vision series then, and we're going to go for that. And part of the vision is us becoming this wonderful church that reflects more of the ultimate vision of the Bible, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Are you up for that? Amen. Let's go for it.